This is Suzanne Atkinson with Try to Listen, a podcast for curious triathletes. Each episode features an interview with an athlete, coach, or scientist whose passion lies in triathlon. It's my job to uncover their story. Today's podcast comes to you from Frosty Lake Pokagama in northern Minnesota, where Coach Chris Swarthout is practicing the art of social isolation with his extended family during the COVID-19 pandemic. Chris is the head coach and owner of Final K Coaching Service. I met Chris at a USA Triathlon coaching education program in Tucson, Arizona earlier this winter. Chris has been a competitive presence in triathlon since 2001, first as an athlete and now as a coach. He's currently assisting with the paratriathlon national team and is a presenter for USA Triathlon Coaching Department. Between 2010 and 2014, he served as the official age group coach for Team USA and accompanied them to the ITU World Championships. Chris is also a co-founder of the Leanda Cave Foundation, helping to empower women through triathlon. Chris has coached athletes ranging from professionals to first-time amateurs. He strives to help people achieve the ultimate balance of family and sport in their lives. Today, we lead off by talking about the many shelter-in-place orders around the nation and social distancing strategies to help flatten the curve of the current coronavirus pandemic. Chris shares how he's helping to keep his athletes focused, motivated, and engaged when many upcoming races have been postponed or canceled, Swimming pools and gyms are closed, and group training sessions are largely looked down on right now with large gatherings of people. While our social social isolation orders won't go on forever, some of the strategies he shares can be useful anytime and I think are helpful for any coach-athlete relationship. One fun fact about Chris, he is a retired police officer. He shares candidly with me what being an officer meant to him and why he left and what he took away from that experience that helps to make him a better triathlon coach. I think you'll find that part really interesting. Finally, we talk a bit about the Leanne Cave Foundation that he's co-founder of. I think you'll really enjoy this chat with Chris. Here we go. We got a bingo? Yeah, we got a bingo. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't really have an agenda for this interview. I just thought it would be nice to um, talk about your coaching and your athletes and this whole social distancing and training situation. Yeah. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell me where you're from. So I am Chris Swarthout. I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I am calling you today from uh, the great north of Grand Rapids, Minnesota, which is up in the Iron Range uh, in the northern part of the United States, just uh, south of Canada. How far south of Canada are you? We are about, uh, I think it probably takes us about 45 minutes to an hour to get to the border from here. Okay, that's not too far. Could you uh, paddle a canoe there? Um, I could if I was a good paddler. Okay. But, um, <laughs> if I, or if I took Chris Palmquist and put her in a paddle in a canoe with me, <laughs> then we could, yes, because she is one heck of a paddler. Is she? <laughs> she that's... is. It's, yeah, she's got a hidden skill there. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Um, so, uh, tell me why is it that you're up in the, uh, in the iron range right now instead of down in Minneapolis? Well, because the zombie apocalypse is <laughs> happening for one. I mean, that's a straight up it. No, no, for, for really though. Um, so my grandfather and grandmother came home from the war. Uh, my grandpa was in the air force and he was a belly gunner in a B-17 oh, cool. and, uh, his brother was a pilot in a B in, uh, in a B-17. And so after the war, they came home and my grandfather bought uh, five acres on the North shore of Lake Pekegama, 
which is which is a lake that has the Mississippi River run through it. Oh, neat! Um, it's a very large lake, um, and and so that's up in uh, again northern Minnesota. Um, he built a house and raised seven kids there. Wow! And this house has stood um, here since since he built it. And when my grandparents got old, my, my dad bought it for my grandparents mm-hmm. and then he sold it to my brother and sister-in-law, my, my wife's identical twin and her husband, um, about seven years ago because my dad wanted to get, he couldn't afford it anymore. Or wanted just didn't want to have to have two houses. Mm-hmm. And so they bought it and we, we turned it into our lake house, our family lake house. And then, uh, this past year, last year, um, my wife and I bought it from, my brother and sister-in-law as our basically our second home and it's our family residence so it's a regular house uh-huh. it has four bedrooms and uh, two full baths and we have uh we we could house three families here if we needed to wow um, but it's, it's on the lake mm-hmm. and it's a great way to socially isolate and there's uh a, about two miles from us right now is an old iron pit that they repurposed into a mountain bike park oh and that sounds really neat yeah, it's called the Tioga Recreational Area. So I brought my fat bike up, and my wife and I will uh, go fat biking over there on the trails. Oh, cool! Uh, and then and then we fish on the lake. And so we've <laughs> been fishing pretty much every day. And you know, when, in this, when we're trying to look at how do we keep our kids active, how do we give them space, how do we keep them away from people, this you know, to socially distance and to kind of create a, a bit of a stopgap in this um, in this you know virus this was one way that we do that. And it's not really a punishment because, um, one, I can, I can do, I would say 99.9% of my job coaching, mm-hmm. um, from here uh, and can do it remotely because that's, that's really the way that I've modeled my, my business after. Um, but I also enjoy being up here and just being away from kind of, um, the, the, the rat race a bit. So, yeah, um, well, it, it sounds like you can, um, kind of just be a family and do all your regular activities and routines other than, you know, maybe driving to some of the, the city um, entertainment things that you guys might do, but you can go mountain biking and fishing and you don't really have to worry about avoiding your neighbors. I, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and, and so um, my brother-in-law is an electrophysiologist. And so he is, um, he's in the cities. He's actually coming up tonight. He, uh, he's, in general rotation right now, because they considered the things that he did, which was putting in pacemakers and doing ablations and things like that, uh, as, um, as elective. So he was put in a general rotation and he's got a break. And because of his, his possibility for exposure, um, his family came up with us and that's my wife's identical twin and my nephews. So, um, it's great that we kind of have this built in recess here. And my sister-in-law is a retired school teacher and, uh, so we do a muster every morning on a whiteboard that we oh. talk about what we're going to do for the day and what the kids have to do. And yeah. it includes like recess and active, you know, learning and all. And then we also say what we're uh, what we're grateful for. So it's kind of a neat little process that we've we've worked ourselves into here. Yeah, that sounds great. So uh, how many kids are in the house right now with you? Uh, right now we have six kids. In Holy the house. cow. That's like a whole classroom. It is a classroom. It's <laughs> so, you know it's, it's it's very similar to the the classroom on Little House in the Prairie. Yeah, they're all in they're they're all in oh, different ages. Yeah. Now, <laughs> did, you said your wife used to be a school teacher. Um, did she? Do you guys feel prepared to be homeschooling the kids during this this t- 
time frame that we're not sure how long it's going to go on? Yeah, well, my sister-in-law. And so she, when we say, home, I guess, homeschooling, we are, the kids have all, they all nowadays have these modules that they do for remote learning. So um, all of them will do a Skype or a Zoom uh, into a classroom or a Google classroom, which which basically is they still get to talk to their teacher. They yeah. just do it and, and their classmates, they just do it remotely. Oh, that's so. Great. So there is structure there and they do have interaction, but the things that we're doing kind of above and beyond are, you know, a, a reading. Um, we've been doing some math. We have, you know, with my, my youngest daughter, we've been doing, we've been drawing. So we kind of try and do art classes. We play a lot of rummy cube because uh-huh. I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. You no. Know? Um, yeah. so, and then we've been playing. Yeah. And then we play boggle too, which is, you know, oh, I that's think, a fun uh, game. yeah. So I think with those, though, they're, there's enough kind of like active thinking, but you know, it's not like a structure. They're not sitting down at a desk or anything right now. Yeah. Well, that I think when I was that age, I would have loved learning like that because I, I didn't like the structure a whole lot, but I liked learning. So it was hard for me to sit in a classroom and, uh, and listen to a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's good. I enjoy it. I enjoy kind of like, I would say participating in it and, and helping out. Um, but I try and make it not too structured because the kids push back uh, if we try and, uh, you know, tell them what we're, they're doing every minute of the day. Sure. Yeah. They, they don't want to hear that from their parents when they can be used to escaping <laughs> at school for, for six hours or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> so um, t- tell me more about your triathlon coaching business. You had mentioned already that your, your majority of your business is already keyed towards being um, remote. Um, so what yeah. percentage would you say is remote and what percentage is typically in person? I, I'd say probably 95% of the coaching that I do is remote. And that's because um, this is essentially the business that I have, Final K, is, is my third um, generation of triathlon business. My first one was a small uh, three-person LLC where we coached people mainly in a small studio that we rented. Um and we ran a little master's class from there. That company was purchased by United health group. And then that business was brought into a wellness division of a company called Optum. And we ran a, a, a really large direct to consumer business for United health group, which was their first, their first actual direct to customer business. They didn't, instead of going B2B is the first time they went direct to customer and they, you know, so we had to deal with teaching United Healthcare how to take a credit card. We were doing punch cards. There was all kinds of these little wonky things. Like we were going to do a spin class, and how do we charge to have a spin class? Or you yeah. know, we had to have these waivers. And it was, it was, it was, it really did give me all in all. I would say a master's degree in business and the the business of running running a triathlon business because they like when you deal with, or when you are essentially the fifth largest company in the United States, you know, everybody wants a piece of you. And so we were buying <laughs> small businesses up. We bought a couple of different training opportunities or training companies up. One is in, like, we flew to Seattle and bought a, bought a doctor out of his, uh, of his uh, analysis cow. company. Um, we had Ironman coming in and coming to, you know, directly to our facility and talking to us about, you know, how we would redo some things for Kona. Um, I mean, to the point where we actually pitched, um, and this is where like, you see some of the things you do and they, you don't get credit for like, yeah. you know, you know, Ironman university. Yeah. 
Yeah, that I was part of. I I built the the I built that idea. <laughs> um, yeah, it, is your name on the credits out, anywhere? Oh, never, never, never. <laughs> but the closest you would ever be, the closest I could ever tell you that how I could prove it was, um, in the very beginning, um, when they first rolled it out, they had um, they had some photos that they were using in their propaganda, and one of them was a photo that actually was in the original pitch deck that I used mm. or that, that we used, <laughs> which was me and my athlete, Devin Palmer at Ironman, Wisconsin. And I'm wearing like a, a, an orange shirt that says coach on it. And he's, you know, we're at the top of Boltsock pass and he's, you can see his pro bib and I'm talking to him while I'm running next to him and he's looking over at me. And I mean, it was a sweet, sweet photo that looks like, okay, we're totally, you know, working up a game plan middle of the race and your coach is completely, you know, all engaged. And when in fact he was actually telling me, Hey, I'm going to pull out at the end of this spot at, at the bottom of this hill. And I'm like, no, no, the don't story, do it. Don't do it. The story behind the photo. Exactly. But what ended up happening was, is that all came about when they wanted us to, to become this huge contributing sponsor to the Kona broadcast. And so what we said was we will, but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to bring some of our coaching information there. So we thought, okay, let's, let's take and, and let's make the co the, the Kona broadcast more robust by being able to follow them using heart rate and seeing power on the, on the, on the broadcast and then have coaches comment on, you know, what would the strategies be here? What are they trying to do? And then, you know, part of the whole thing was trying to create, trying to scale out our business, our coaching business. We thought we'd partner with Ironman with that at one time. And so that's where Ironman university came from. It came out of an idea that we pitched to Ironman, mm -hmm. but then they ended up taking it at a later point. But, um, after, so that was like kind of the big salad days of my coaching. I was where I was a big wig. Yeah. And, and after that, um, you know, United finally said, we're, you know, we're going to sunset this project. It doesn't make us, you know, $14 trillion. Like we need to, we needed to make their, you know, their big business. Yeah. And so I was allowed to leave with all my intellectual property and, and a bunch of stuff like that. They, you know, that they didn't, didn't need anymore and didn't want, like I had two metabolic carts and I had, you know, all this equipment, like yeah. 12 compu trainers that they had zero need for. They're like, well, you can just throw it away. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to throw away a metabolic cart. You wow. know, I got, I got, I got a $30,000 med graphic med, you know, med cart here. And I'm like, what am I going to do with it? So I ended up donating a lot of stuff to the, to, uh, um, to a local college. And I started the, out of that I took and I said, I'm going to create final K. And one of the things that I really knew that I wanted to do and, and needed to do was I needed to not have a brick and mortar. Yeah. And that really kind of was the, the basis of it. So I, I wanted to be able to create a consortium of coaches where it wasn't me controlling them, but me more educating them. Mm -hmm. And, and I also wanted to make it so that it was, that it was scalable so we could work with anybody. So we really started to work with technology and how do we, how do we coach athletes that we may never see face to face in person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we really leaned into, um, sharing video, um, using FaceTime, using WhatsApp, those type of things. And we were, and we've been quite successful with it. I mean, to the point where, um, I just had a client recently that, that, that left just kind of on other circumstances, but, uh, she was in Shanghai, China. And so, you know, coaching somebody that lives in Shanghai yeah. is, uh, is obviously unique and you have to have a, a good process to be able to do that. So, right. um, I, I have been able to to create value in the relationship uh, between the coach and the athlete without actually physically 
laying hands on them or seeing them face to face. And I think there's, I, I think that is, that's doable as long as you don't, um, you, you don't get lost in it. Like you don't take somebody for granted. You always have to keep, keep working on it. It's almost like having a, a long distance relationship. It's, it's difficult if you don't put in the time to it. Sure. Uh, but if you, but if you do, it can be, it can be very fulfilling. Well, I think you bring us some really good points because a lot of uh, triathletes who are thinking about getting a coach for the first time, when I see the types of questions that people will post in, in Facebook forums or um, triathlon um, websites, they're a little, um, I don't know if confused is the right word, but they're wondering what they're going to get out of hiring a remote coach if it's going to be worthwhile versus just buying a training plan or following a plan from a book. Um, could you talk about, I mean, you mentioned a few already, but could you talk about some of the ways that uh, hiring your, a coach from your company, for example, or, or any coach who's really putting that extra value in, what kinds of things are you doing that go above and beyond um, just purchasing a training plan that your, your company sells, for example? Yeah, I mean, so we don't even sell training plans, to be honest with you. They so we, I, I to give it a name, I call them cookie cutter plans, mm-hmm. um, and and they have their place. Don't get me wrong, Suzanne, they have their place. But if you want to, you know, if you want to find, you know, twelve weeks to your next, you know, Olympic distance race, you can go get those for free. Yeah, in so many different places. The thing that that is different that differentiates that from hiring a coach to take you for the next 12 weeks to your Olympic distance race is that inevitably things are going to happen in your life and things happen in the world. Think about right now. I can tell you that every one of my athletes has some level of panic about what is going on with them. And without a coach, they, they, I would, I can guarantee you there would be incorrect choices in workout volume and workout intensity. Um, and, and, and I would say maybe like a lot of overdoing it, right? What a coach, what a coach does is a coach basically is a relationship like a, almost like a, like a tax account. You know, you, they, you spend money on somebody who understands you so that you don't have to put the energy in to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Essentially what a coach does is a coach learns who you are. A coach has a relationship with you. And, and follows you that that relationship grows there's trust based in, based on that and then when things need to be when things need to be decided you need somebody who is a little bit distanced from the situation but has skin in the game to make the correct and accurate decision and planning and adjustments so that everything's not lost meaning okay we have a pandemic Mm-hmm. So and and the, the vast majority of people right now don't have water to swim in. So what are we going to do? Are they going to panic with that? Are they going to start doing, you know, X, Y and Z? Or are they going to get somebody that says, OK, it's OK. Let's let's look at the next 30 days and let's work through these 30 days. We're going to create a dry land swim strength training session for you. And we're going to shift and we're going to do some we're going to do some FTP work on the bike mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever that might be. And then for your. For your events that you have scheduled, let's look at, okay, I know your goal was to go to Kona this year and your first race, big race was going to be St. George. Nope. Let's look at, say, what is our plan B going to be while we're still inside this operating window and what is going to be a, a possibility for us going forward? Right. You need to have you need to have that calm, cool head that is more than just, you know, like calling into a doctor's office where they don't know who you are. They're just who you say they are or who you say you are. 
the relationship, the longer you are with your coach, the more they know you, the more that they, they, that you are almost bonded together. And the more, the, the, the more that the, the, you almost become one person, but you're not making the, the choices or the, or the, or the decisions based off of emotion. You're making them based off of knowledge and based off of, you know, science versus the athlete who is going to be making those decisions for themselves, modifying that static program or trying to modify their ATP, their annual training plan. They're going to be, there's going to be a lot of emotion. There's going to be a lot of panic, maybe a lot of unknown in there. And thus, I think the result is maybe not the most appropriate choices or decisions being made on a daily, weekly, or maybe annual uh, basis for that. Right. Um, so as I'm looking through some of the, um, the schedules for races that are out right now, for example, the college national championships, USAT, have been postponed. Um, but the Duathlon National Championships, which is the next one, they're still in limbo. Um, so what kind of advice are you giving athletes? Um, so some of their races are postponed, some are in limbo, some are relying on qualifying races, uh, like the example that you gave. Um, how important is it, is it for an athlete to maybe maintain um, a peak event in that same time window for motivation uh, and what should someone do, in your opinion, if there's if there's nothing available in their area? Maybe their one uh, A race for the year that they had scheduled vacation for has been canceled. How would you suggest they approach that? Well, I think you know there's a couple different ways to that depending on the athlete that you have to look at it. So let's say you know we had this, this we had this conversation um, with the paratriathlon national team that you know their their big race was the you know the the Paralympics. And, you know, their their races that they needed to be able to to do to qualify them from a point standpoint were, you know, were canceled. So if you're if, if you're at the mercy like collegiates would be and your goal is to try and, you know, win, win or be ranked at, at the at collegiate nationals or collegiate club nationals, then you kind of have to just be a little bit at the mercy of what that what the schedule is and know that everybody is living in that kind of same time frame. Uh, as far as peaking, then I think you you have to you have to adjust the program from a from a peak standpoint or from an A race timeline to 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 something where you know where it's actually going to physically exist. So if you're let's say peaking for a May first race and that May first race has been canceled or technically postponed, and we don't know when that's going to be. You have to cut, go into I would say a maintenance phase and not and and, and make a, a, an immediate modification so that you're not still geared towards peaking for May one because we know that's not a that's not going to be necessary or that's not that race is not going to be on. Mm -hmm. Now, you could still do that. You still could race at that point in time. For instance, there was a number of like five and ten k's over the past two weeks that have been canceled uh, here in the in uh, in this in the Midwest. And you, what I ended up doing with with my clients was I gave them race simulations. I said, okay, we're yeah. gonna we're going to do it. We did the COVID-19 10K race for a cure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't say you can't go out and just and, and, you know, you may not be racing against a thousand other people, but you can still go out and run a distance and and prepare like you would and go out and run and run a route as if it was a race in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, there are um, there are new things coming up every day, such as uh, Zwift is have has online uh, races that you can participate in. So if you want to give somebody, um, you know, some bike race 
uh, scenarios, you can actually go into Zwift and you can race um, race in a simulated uh, event on Zwift. Yep. Now, is, is it absolutely the same? No, it's not. But it's it's basically pushing the football down the field. And for people that have that that need to, you know, kind of race to get, I would say, to to get some boxes checked, those can be uh, those can be worthwhile scenarios uh, in the in, you know, in the for the time being. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have big things like if, you know, that that you have to get at before the end of the year, um, you know, there's the, the normal things that we might see as plan B options, which would be, you know, let's say one singular race got canceled, then you would have to travel to another one. Um, you can't really do that. Yeah. The The hard part is right now with Ironman, especially for people that are, you know, they're trying to go to Kona or try, their goal is to qualify for Kona this year. And, you know, you only have a certain timeline to do that based off of what their what their uh, qualifications are. Um, I would say look to the last races of the season to absolutely guarantee they're going to be there. So looking mm-hmm. at, you know, Penticton, Mont Treblanc, those are going to be ones where not only just you, but everybody and their grandmother is going to be <laughs> trying to change into. Right. Um, but you have to if you're going to if, if that's your goal for this year and you're and you're unwilling to move from it, then those are those are the moves you have to make. And you're going to have to recommit to those immediately. Yeah. Um, if you know, if they're already in an Ironman right now, they're going to have to, you know, get the deferral out of that. It's going to cost them some money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, you have to, I think that's where the sit down conversation is. And, and it's, it, it really does come down to, I would say finances, um, what the priority is in life, because not only with this, this whole thing that's going on, is it affecting races, but it's affecting employment. It's affecting, yep. you know, uh, income. So these races aren't cheap. And some, and, and it may be, it may be a hard thing to tell a client or an athlete, but if, if you as a coach see that it's in their, their best interest to say, I think we should save some cash <laughs> and we should, we should punt on the big, on the big race and focus on doing some fun, uh, some fun training ideas or some fun simulated races here locally. That might be the thing to do just to make sure that, that you have, you know, a, a viable client in the long run, not yeah. just in the short run. Yeah. Those are all really good points. Um, a couple of things came to mind as you're, uh, describing this scenario and also, um, your, the remote coaching tools that you use, you have mentioned FaceTime, you've mentioned Zwift. Um, we haven't even talked about, uh, any platform that you may use to deliver, uh, the actual workouts themselves, but how do you see, um, athletes today using the technology, um, across the age range. I would, I would assume that, you know, triathletes in their, uh, thirties might take very easily to all of this technology, but do you have any athletes who are in their, um, sixties or seventies who are not as familiar or not as adept at picking up some of these tools and how's that going to affect their training during a time like this? You know, I've found that, that most athletes are pretty, adept to using some level of technology mainly because they've had to fight the Garmin forever today <laughs> you know and if you if you fought the Garmin war you know that it's like okay you know that that they, they they understand that there's there's some things out there but um, I use training peaks uh, as a as a distribution tool uh, it's a platform portal that we use it's very robust I think um, it's updated uh, I think more than I would have updated a platform that I own 
or have had created. Mm-hmm. Um, I bake it right into the cost of, uh, of the service that we provide. Um, we do the premium level just because it's, it's easier to, to be able to get more data and than than not. Um, the other thing that, that trading peaks also has is they've got a number of pretty basic tutorials on how to, how to, how to understand or how to do things. Exactly. So connecting things, those are, that's that there, there really is a good troubleshooting piece there. The other thing we do, what I do is I spend time just teaching people what, how to work it. And I don't like overload them. So if you have somebody who is, you know, let's say a 75 year old female and they're looking to try and go to sprint worlds or just sprint nationals, um, you know, just making sure that they understand the tools that are necessary for them to get to where they're going to. Right. You know, so I don't try and o- don't don't try and overwhelm them with things just to say, oh, look at this, how cool this can be. Yeah. So the bare the bare minimum for someone who is uh, maybe not interested in setting up a whole indoor training studio with with Zwift, um, but whatever tools are going to help them train and get value from in order to reach their goals. Absolutely. But to be honest with you, I've actually helped people with their wattage cottages using FaceTime, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, you know, that's and that's my, that's, that's a pain cave. We just call it wattage cottage. Yeah. I love, I love that. That's, I think that's a better name. It gets, yeah. frames it in a different light. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, but you, a, a lot of times if, if, as a coach, if you know what they need to do, you don't need to physically be there. Yep. You need to be able to articulate it. I'm, I, I related a lot to teaching somebody in the pool because if you're, if you need, if, if you're trying to, you know, invoke change in somebody you need to be able to you need to be able to articulate it to the point where they understand it and can visualize and then execute so they're t- trying to get somebody to do early vertical forearm while uh, while on the side of the deck is no different than me over the over facetime trying to say no you need to plug a usb cord into <laughs> your wahoo kicker and then you need to go through x y and z on the computer yeah as long as you know what you're trying to ex- trying to articulate and get out of this you just use your coach coach tools and, and and tell them what they need to do. Now, it's you know I, I know people have a lot you know a lot of trouble with um, with like uh, wattage meters and things like that. Many times I don't try and get in the middle of it. What I try and do is I try and just I, I try and utilize some of the tools that are available, uh, such as you know customer service uh, oh, or sure. you know or just you know doing little things like. You know, when in doubt, just check for updates or firmware updates because that nine times out of ten will solve most problems. Yep. Um, but I haven't seen technology be a limiter for most people from an age perspective because it seems like most triathletes have some desire to have a gadget involved <laughs> yeah. nowadays. What's a triathlete without a gadget? Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> they're 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 called a normal athlete. Yeah. Yeah, or or a runner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. I, I think I've experienced that um, that athletes who are in an age group where I wouldn't normally expect them to be running around with digital watches that are connecting via Wi-Fi and gathering their power and their stride length, um, they 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 do it when it's important to them um, and when they know that it's going to help them get to where where what their goals are. Yeah, and so and and maybe you know. There's there's a fine line between, you know, being able to teach somebody something and understand that they may not benefit from you teaching that. Yeah. Um, You know, you you could see Michael Phelps and say, okay, I think Michael Phelps has a small, you know, his his thumb dips in during his entry a little bit too much. um, And 
and we should probably correct that. Well, yeah, you know what? I probably won't because, <laughs> you know, he's pretty good on his own. He's and doing it's that, good. Exactly. There's a line, be, there's, there's, a, there's like a subtle line where you have to say, okay, I'm not going to do something because if I try and overreach or over, over instruct on that, mm-hmm. that's just going to kind of blow things up. And yeah. so that would be like, you know, trying to get, uh, trying to get an older athlete who, who doesn't have, you know, let's say world championship aspirations and just say, you know what, I think the, uh, the run wattage meters are just something we don't need to look at right now. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think at, you know, the time that I've been a coach has, has seen the introduction of power meters that are affordable, um, you know, GPS watches and there used to just be one to choose from. And now there are um, dozens of companies that are offering them. And, you know, now everyone that has a smartphone has uh, a lot of apps. They don't even have to go out and buy something um, extra. They can just use um, apps that are available on the phone uh, and get a lot of value out of their, um, out of the technology they're already paying for anyway, just to be part of the modern world. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much out there now that it's just, it's, it's, I would say just almost too easy to get information. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where I think it's, it's important as a coach sometimes where people are getting too focused in on numbers or too focused in on, you know, on data that you need to back them out away just a little bit and say, Hey, you know, let's just go out and have a run or a bike where we don't take any data at all. Yeah. And I just want you to go out and have fun because I think people at some, at a certain point, they get too much, they get too data driven and they, they lose perspective of why they started doing this in the first place. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's also one of my favorite things to do with athletes who are, um, maybe struggling to make progress or, or losing motivation, or maybe they're, um, overreaching a little bit and I'm having a really hard time convincing them that backing off is okay. I will prescribe, um, uh, a sensory run where, I have them put their, you know, keep their watch at home, ask them to go out for, you know, an estimated time, make it about 40 minutes. doesn't have to be exact. I want you to bring, um, bring your cell phone and send me three pictures from your run of something that, that, uh, caught your eye that you haven't noticed before. Um, and so just by helping distract an athlete a little bit from, you know, the time and the, all the, um, all the data that's generated. Um, I, I think that's a really great tool. And if an athlete can embrace that, it's a great way to provide some of that, um, the up and down, you know, the push and pull, allowing for recovery so that they can come back uh, to other workouts with more intensity. I totally agree. If, if you, once somebody loses the, loses the fun, they lose the drive, they lose the passion, and I probably lost the athlete. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to ask you um, two more things um, before we wrap up the interview. Um, and you can make these answers as, as long or short as you want. Um, so <laughs> the, the first question has to do um, with your background. Um, fun fact about Chris, he's a retired police officer. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to imagine that there are some dramatic differences between waking up every day and going to work as a police officer as compared to being a remote triathlon coach on an, an iced over lake in northern Minnesota. Um, but at the same time, you deal with people as, as a police officer. And so I would also have to imagine that there's some things you learned on your job that help you with your, your coaching. Could you just talk a little bit about the, the similarities and differences and what you took from being a, a, a police officer into your coaching? Yeah, I mean, I would say the differences definitely are um, 
I don't have a lot of the same stressors that I had in my life. Um, being a police officer in a large metropolitan uh, city, I was in Brooklyn Park, was where, where I was a police officer. Is that it's in a, Minnesota? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a northern suburb of Minneapolis, um, fifth largest city in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's so we we were a big department and we saw a lot of things and you know that's I I saw pretty much everything you could ever want and um, a lot of things I didn't want to see and, mm -hmm. and and they and I still see them like you know I still have dreams about it and nightmares and. And there's a lot of, you know, probably PTSD that came with that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're waking up and, and having to, to, you know, deal with things and being the front line was was always difficult. Um, I lived through, you know, I was a, co I was a cop during 9-11. And so, mm. you know, tr working on, you know, trying to quell, um, you know, public panic and things is very similar to some of the things that we're going on through right now. And, you know, seeing people, it's just a larger, longer fashion. Um, you know, the, just being able to, to not have the people that I deal with every day, yeah. not, not hate me or <laughs> not want to see me. That's a, that's a, that's a big plus. And I, I, you know, I don't, um, I, I don't, I did really good work when I was a police officer. I, I loved it. I think I, I helped and I served my community and I made a difference in a lot of people. Um, but I do not miss it for a second. I miss some of the people, um, but even to the point where if I had the matrix option where I could take a pill mm -hmm. and forget <laughs> everything that I ever saw or learned and all, including all the street smarts um, yeah. and exchange to, to just let it all go away and forget it. I totally would take that because there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that our public servants have to deal with that we're not aware of. And they, a lot of times don't wear it on their sleeve but it, it comes back to haunt them and it mm -hmm. really does create a uh, disassociation. Um, the triathlon has allowed me to know and meet and be friends with people that I probably never would have with um, when I was a police officer. And for that, I'll, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to the sport mm -hmm. because it has allowed me to meet people uh, of all walks of life and be a much better person than I think I may have become if I was sheltered in law enforcement. So that's, that's kind of the differences there. You know, the things that, that law enforcement did give me though, um, it gave me the, the ability to use my mouth and my brain, <laughs> Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as you see now, but, um, I was not the biggest guy and uh, I would always have this, I had this kind of like, I don't want to say smart alecky, like, like kind of attitude towards people. But, um, you know, I go to a bar fight and some big drunk, huge college football linebacker would be lined up against me. And, and, you know, I would tell him like, Hey dude, you got two options here. We need to get out. We need, we need to leave here right now. Um, so you can either walk out with me, which is, you know, and then we'll take care of this outside or, you know, or you can not, you cannot. And if you don't, I'm not going to come get you. You might come at me, but a bunch of my friends, they're going to come <laughs> in and they're going to really hurt you. And I, so let's let's try and figure out a way to not do that. And so yeah. I really I really learned to to not use my fists and, and to to try and create um, outcomes that I wanted to have be desirable. Yeah. And I think that really helped me in the long run, because the one re one thing that really crossed over was my ability to to articulate, relate and um, and and keep people, uh, I think, you know, intrigued at what I'm talking about. And, yeah. and, and that was, that was a big gift that I think law enforcement gave me. So I think, you know, those are probably the two positive and negatives.
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting, and thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, last thing that caught my eye on your website. Um, I would like you to tell me a little bit about the Leander Cave Foundation. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> do you know, who, you know who Leander Cave is, right? I, I do, but why don't you uh, uh, introduce her for anyone listening who is not aware? So Leander Cave uh, retired now, four-time world champion. She uh, won ITU short course, ITU long course, and she was the first uh, person to ever win the 70.3 world championships and the Ironman world championships in the same year. Oh, first I, person. I didn't know that. Yeah, first person. She won in Vegas and then won in Kona back in 2012. Uh -huh. um, and so she was the first person to ever do that. And um, I got to know Leanda. Uh, she shopped me when I was doing the expo. I was working in, working the expo for the uh, Ironman 70.3 Miami a mm -hmm. um, number of years ago. And her manager uh, approached me and said, hey, you know, Leanda would like to meet you. And she, you know, wonder if you'd like to uh, talk about some things. And so... Um, she had approached me about coaching and about, you know, trying to understand what it takes to be in a coaching business. And so I, I got to know Leanda in that fashion and, and we did a number of camps together. Um, we've gone to races together and, and we've really, really become friends. And when she was looking to kind of, um, end her career, she wanted to create something a little bit bigger uh, to, to kind of, uh, to, to go out on a, on, on a bit, uh, to kind of make a more of an impact instead of just kind of fizzling out and retiring. She wanted to have a legacy. And so, um, we brainstormed a bunch of different things. And one of the things that she wanted to do was she wanted to empower women, uh, through the sport. And I am married to an incredibly strong woman. Uh, and I have two incredible daughters and I thought what a no better way to be able to make this world a better place for um, for the women in my life and the women who will be coming than to give back and create some sort of legacy. And that was the Leander Cave Foundation. So what it did was it had it's a, it not only um, supported a certain number of, of, of athletes leveraging the, the sponsorships that, that Leander had, but what it also did was um, it in, empowered those those specific people to become ambassadors, almost like uh, like a multi level marketing not, not mm -hmm. scheme, but project <laughs> where they ended up. We the things that we said was that okay, we're going to give you guys some support, and we want you to go out and we want you to impact in your in your local community in a certain way. And we're going to reward you for that. Mm -hmm. And so we basically you know tried to try to help um, uh, try to help do that through uh, through local you know local organizations. We and then when when uh, Leander was was capable of doing it, she would come out directly and and help and, and be at events uh, as a way of support. And so, like one of the examples is with the um, in Minneapolis, we have the YWCA Women's Triathlon, which is an, a women's only race. About two thousand women do do a uh, a sprint uh, a sprint and an Olympic distance race, um, and it's a great opportunity for. Uh, for them to, you know, to experience triathlon through in a non-male competitive form where you don't have a bunch of grunty guys going, hey, get out of my way. Because <laughs> right? yep. it's about it's about support and it's about, yeah. you know, the empowerment. It's about like the, the growth of women and, and having them enjoy the sport. And Leanda coming out and handing out finisher medals and being at, um, mm -hmm. you know, being at the expo and, and talking and giving some presentations beforehand was, was very inspirational for some of these women. And, and it was fun to be in that space. Now for me, I, 
being a man, obviously I <laughs> like played a very like kind of behind the scenes role, almost like the wizard of Oz type where I didn't want to be <laughs> behind the front. curtain. Exactly. I, well, I, I felt it very, I didn't want to be misogynistic about it. I didn't want them to say, okay, here's a women's, here's a women's, you know, foundation. And now there's a man talking to me about it. I'm like, no, that's not it. I'm, I want to just kind of help and, and be there and do whatever I can. I essentially was like Bosley to the Charlie's angels. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it really became a, a fun passion project. And, and it, it, I think they, it does really good things out there for people. And it, um, I think as long as you can, you know, make an impact and you give back to the sport that has given you so much, then you're doing something that's, that's positive. And you don't need to do the biggest thing in the world. You just need to do something that, that is, you know, makes a little bit of change. And I felt like this was a, something that's, that was my way to be able to contribute to that. And I didn't want to be like the front front page of it. And like, really the only way you ever see that I'm involved with it is if, if like, is I'm, is in my bio. Right. <laughs> um, there you you won't you won't find me I believe anywhere inside any of the the literature or propaganda and I didn't I, and I and I kind of wanted it that way yeah um, because it's not about me uh, but I want to make sure that it works and I want to give to it as much as I can and make sure that it does and so for Leanda I'm a I'm a resource and a friend and mm -hmm. and for that I feel like I'm doing something good for the world that um, I don't need to get you know acc uh, accolades about. Well, that's fantastic. Um, it, there are so many more things that we could talk to you about. Um, you've written a book. You've got a lot of athletes. I'm sure we could dive into their their schedules and how you've managed their um, their goals and their careers. Um, but um, people may be getting tired of listening to us at the moment. So <laughs> why don't why don't we wrap this up and we can um, we can do a part two if uh, at some point in the future. Um, Absolutely. Your people can find you at finalk.com yep. um is there anything else that you want to let people know before we sign off no just that you're that that you're an incredibly smart coach and i appreciate <laughs> you for all you are and and uh i can't wait to hear your new dubstep release um, <laughs> i'm thinking and, about uh, about having a section at the end of, of each podcast with some original music or just, if you have any I, submissions let me know i, I will but uh but no i, I um I, I, you know, just to tell everybody, kind of just lean into your coach right now. Think 30 days out, wash your hands. I think those are the big <laughs> things right now. That's fantastic. Thanks a lot, Chris. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You're welcome. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to our conversation with Chris Swarthout of Final K Coaching. You can find his website at finalk.com. Next interview that I hope to have up is one with Joe Friel, a throwback episode from just prior to him releasing his Fast After 50 book, um, a fantastic a compilation of uh, scientific references for the aging triathlete. I just contacted Joe this week and we're going to do a follow-up interview. So you'll want to take a listen to our upcoming one which is the throwback episode, and then uh, be prepared for the actual interview with Joe. Um, if you'd like the opportunity to have me ask him your question, consider supporting us over at patreon.com. Sponsors at the $5 level or Patreons at the $5 level will have an opportunity to post questions that they would like to 
uh, have asked. And uh, this time I'm going to choose up to five questions from our Patreons to ask our guest. Um, we'll also use your name during the show so that you can uh, know that it's actually your question that we're uh, deferring to our guests. Um, so please consider supporting us there. Any sponsorship there goes a long way to help offset the costs of hosting and running the podcast. Otherwise, I hope you continue listening and enjoy our interviews, which are always uncut and ad-free. Thanks a lot. Take care.